Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. You're joining us here Wednesday night. I am super excited for tonight's show. It's like a cornucopia of awesomeness. Those of you that have been following me on social media this week, today's topic is workplace safety in the era of COVID-19. So I'm so excited. Welcome back to another episode. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician practicing out of Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. I'm also a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. You got that right. Lifestyle is everything. So welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited. I have a fierce panel today, and we're going to be talking about something that's pertinent to all of us. You know, as the country is opening back up, and even though a lot of us have been social distancing and sheltered in place at home from work, as we are opening up more and more, more and more of us as employees are being asked to return to the physical workplace. Tonight's guests are amazing. We're gonna help break that down. We're gonna talk about the risk that's out there, what you should know, and why you should care. Again, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. You can also check me out on all my social media handles at To Your Health DRG. And remember, each and every week on this show, we're all about building trust and delivering truth. Before we get started on today's awesome theme, I want to hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So I am so excited to bring these guests. You guys are in for a treat. I've known both of these guests for a long time, friends, colleagues, and experts at their craft. And we're gonna be breaking it down for you. We want you to have all the tools needed for success. So when I talk about my patients and my practice, I talk about your health and your well-being and access and equity. We're gonna be talking about what is required or what we think are the right strategies to make sure that you out there are safe in your physical workplace. So I want to introduce my awesome guest today. We're going to get right into it today because we've got a lot of awesome substantive stuff that we're going to do. And you know, as usual, each episode of Two Your Health with Dr. G, you know, I got some myth versus facts. You know, I might actually participate this week in myth versus facts. I don't know. It just depends how I feel. So again, I'm so excited to welcome everybody back. I want to introduce my awesome guest. My first guest today, he and I have known each other since uh, my days of starting at Edward Hospital 13 years ago. Just a trusted friend, colleague, medical expert. I want to introduce my good friend and colleague, Dr. Jeffrey Williamson-Link. He is a board-certified occupational medicine physician with Edward Elmer's Health. Check him out at www.eehealth.org. Dr. Williamson-Link, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, be on this program, and um, it's a great subject and obviously very timely. I, as you said, I am an occupational medicine specialist. I've been practicing occupational medicine, which is the care and treatment of work-related illnesses and injuries since 1990. I went to med school at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, did internal medicine at Lutheran General Hospital got my master's in public health at Michigan, and then I also did my occupational medicine training there uh, at Michigan as well. Um, I'm tasked, and I love my job, to keep employees safe and healthy. One of the favorite parts of my job is actually going out to companies and seeing what they do, how they make things, and most importantly, how they keep their employees safe. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jefferson, uh, Dr. Williamson Link, for coming on tonight. I cannot wait to get very granular. We're going to get some details and just really give people out there. And again, for people that are out there of all walks of life and health, employees, employers that are listening to tonight's program of all sizes, small, medium, large, there's something to take home for you all. My next guest, he and I have known, him long, known each other for a long time, too. It's a long time, dear family friend of the Gomez family. I met him through my parents. There was an, uh, it was certainly through my dad originally, through an all-state connection, but just a lifelong family friend of the Gomez family, my good friend and colleague, Mr. Brian Little. Mr. Brian Little is Vice President Human Resources with Intel Corporation. Brian, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks very much. I've been in uh, human resources for about 25 years plus uh, for primarily large organizations. I used to work uh, for Zurich Insurance Company, or CHRO of Zurich North America. Uh, also worked as a senior vice president of uh, corporate HR for HSBC and um, has spent quite a bit of time going through a number of different pandemics with the types of companies that I've worked with. Um, this is not the first one we've gone through, but it's one of the most challenging. So uh, we all have to be very thoughtful about how we work with employees and make sure environments are safe. And these are things that we talk about virtually every day to make sure that this is going to happen. Well, wonderful. Thanks again, gentlemen, for joining this show. So there you have it, everybody. Again, I promise you're truly in for something special. Again, a cornucopia of awesomeness for topics that are so pertinent for us as we get back into the physical workplace. So let me paint the situation. When we always do everything every week on Tear Up with Dr. G, I always have to have the question of the hour. And the question of the hour is like the chief complaint. When somebody comes to my medical practice, they come in for a reason. That's the chief complaint. So the question of the hour that we're dealing with today during the topic of workplace safety in the era of COVID-19 is as follows. What does workplace safety look like in this pandemic and has it changed for the better? So we're going to break this down in more. So I'm just excited. So let's get right into it. Again, we're going to have a great program for you tonight. We're going to get right into it because we want to take some, have some pertinent information for you. And as my pastor always says, smart people take notes. I've got a pen and I've got some paper too. And I want to take some notes to myself because there's always an opportunity to learn. Again, hashtag lifelong learning is foundational to everything that we do. There's always room for improvement. And then we think about the perspective that we're going to gain that you can apply in your daily life. It's worthwhile. So I'm so excited. So let's get right into it, guys. So Dr. Dr. Williamson, Link, let me ask you the first question. And I'm going to ask Brian to elaborate too from his end. So, so Dr. Williamson, Link, you know, you wear the physician hat. What does workplace safety mean to you? It's the paramount, especially in my, my specialty. Um, keep, you know, I, I always feel that employees are probably the most important asset of all companies. It's more important than the machinery, the products, the building itself. That's a huge asset. And uh, it's, it's, it's a big responsibility for employers to keep those employees safe. And to me, it's paramount. It's why I went into occupational medicine, to keep people productive. Uh, and that's the whole goal is to keep them working, keep them healthy and safe. And um, especially in these times of COVID, it's, it's, it's so important. It's so important. Brian, give me your definition from, from just, you know, you've been around businesses of all sizes and have worked with countless employees from a corporate standpoint, what is your kind of just general definition? What does workplace safety mean to you? 
Think about it as uh, an implied contract between the employee and employer to make sure that we have an environment that when people use reasonable judgment, that they'd be safe coming to work. Uh, we can't keep people from uh, always, you know, safe 100% of the time because sometimes people take risks that they shouldn't. But as an employer, you have to make sure that you've taken uh, reasonable care to not only inform employees about the potential dangers of anything, and then also giving them an option of helping them understand the risk and then also taking care of themselves. So it's a two-way street. It's not just the employer. It's not just the employee. We're in that together. Wonderful. You know, for me, I think about just the continuum of everything from your overall health. And, I, and, I, and for me, my patients that know me, I like to look at health from the from the very holistic standpoint. It's not just your physical. It's not just your metabolic. It's not just your emotional. It's, it's a, There's so many things that are there. And when we think about work, it's our livelihood. It's our foundation. And for a lot of us, it's our identity. And our, and our identity may have been changed during this pandemic. And people out there you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. The numbers today, 1.9 million people uh, confirmed positive in the United States, 110,000 confirmed deaths. Global, global numbers are over 7 million and over 400,000 deaths. So we are still in a, in, a, in a pandemic. And the last thing we want is for something, certainly in a workplace environment, is for a virus to decimate the workforce. And so uh, I'm glad that we're having this conversation. So I wanna ask this question. And I'm just going to get right into it because I get asked this question from my patients all the time that send me my chart messages. Dr. Williamson Link, should people be back at work right now? Um, it's a difficult question, but like you alluded to, people's identity can be associated with their work. They need to be at work. Um, some of us have never left work, and you know that in the healthcare <laughs> profession. We haven't stopped since March when this first arrived, so we have been working but there are a lot of people out there that want to get back to work. Uh, they have been working from home or some have not been working at all. It's part of the identity, it's who they are. There's a break in their normal routine. We want people back to work and be productive, but in a safe way though, that's the caveat. Excellent, Brian, what do you think about, what, what should employees, let's talk to, to the employee side before we maybe get to more of the employer. You know, should employees feel safe when they're going back to the workplace? There's a lot of factors. So it depends on what you actually do for a living. There's a risk assessment that you have to do for yourself. Part of it is what's your underlying health history? Do you understand it? And how it relates to this particular pandemic is that, do you understand the types of things that you would make you unsafe? Where it may not be for somebody else to be a main factor for risk. You also have to understand the type of work you do. And then what is the likelihood of you coming across somebody who has an infection. Uh, I work with thousands of people today that very few have actually been uh, infected with, uh, with COVID-19. And part of it is the type of work they do and then the personal risk assessments that we've asked people to do. Folks that are in high risk, we actually ask them or give them the permission to not come into work, right? To find ways for them to either have the time to uh, still be employed and do different types of work uh, or try to find ways to do their job remotely or to a point where we just simply give them the time away to make sure that the situation's better before they return uh, back into the workplace. But more than anything else is being conscious of your own health. No one actually knows that better than you do. And then working with your doctor, that's a good decision to make. Employers, on the other hand, have to be careful about forcing people back who have these underlying conditions. And so uh, that's part of the dialogue. 
Well, you know, I love, I want to pick, I want to actually pick back what you said about people that have those conditions. And, and, and obviously I would love in this, in a utopia, we would see it applied evenly across the board. If somebody's got a condition there, they, they should stay at home. But we know that there's a variability and there's inequity and some people have to be in a physical workplace with, with their own conditions. I know from a medical standpoint, you know, from a risk standpoint, I always say, okay, if you, somebody does have diabetes, for example, we know that diabetes is an associated risk factor for higher risk for getting COVID-19. There are other different risk factors as well, too. Even age is a risk factor, but, uh, but, but, but sometimes we cannot change those risk factors. And so we try to make it as safe as possible. And so Dr. Williamson-Link, when you're advising patients that have to go back into the workplace and they have maybe these higher risk conditions, what exactly are you telling them? Um, they have to weigh their risk. Uh, communication with their employer is so important. Uh, like Brian said, if they do not, if the employer doesn't understand those things, they're just going to push them right back into the workplace. So that open dialogue, that communication is extremely important. Um, they have to make a decision. Um, do the risk outweigh the benefits of returning back to work? And sometimes, and one thing we often forget about is it may not just be the employee it could be who the employee lives with. The employee themselves may be perfectly fine, but they may live with someone who has those high risk factors. And that employee, um, just like other toxins and other things that can occur in the workplace, could be brought home to that individual and their uh, people that they live with, such as the COVID virus, and they could put their family members at risk. And these are things that all need to be considered uh, when making that decision to return to work. And the other thing is too, be open with your employer, but also what things can you do to protect yourself if you do have to go to work and you have these? Can you work in a different area where the risk is lower? Uh, are there personal protective equipment that you could possibly utilize to decrease your risk? Is it possible to be uh, isolated or separated from where you would normally work? These are things that all need to, to be discussed and have dialogue uh, with your employer or your HR department, or your supervisor when you're making that decision to go back to work. You know, Brian, from your perspective, from an HR perspective, how do you get employees, and I'm piggybacking off of what Dr. Williamson-Link said, how do you get those employees to speak up, to know that, the, that there's maybe other opportunities? Because sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes it's hard for an employee to speak up um, to uh, HR, to management, if they, even because maybe they just already had it in their mind, that's like, okay, well, even if I ask this, they're gonna say no, they're gonna say no. So they had this preconceived notion that they're coming into it. But how do we encourage that to be speaking up? And I'll ask you a secondary question too. Are people taking advantage of that opportunity of speaking up and asking? Well, I think a lot of it is the culture that you set in a company, right? In terms of being able to ensure that people feel psychologically safe about speaking up. One route that's worked very well for many companies is to really publish the guidelines for how and when and what to speak up about. So people feel empowered because they say, wow, the, the management of the company put these guidelines forward that allows me to speak about this. So for example, if I'm running a fever that day and I'm uncomfortable coming in, in the guideline it says, don't come in if you don't have a fever. Make sure you talk to your boss about it, right? And giving it structure so the employer and the employee know exactly kind of what to look for. And then what's the mitigating factor in there? Giving the employee the right to a certain degree to be able to say, hey, I'm not feeling great. And then here's what my, I want, would like to do. 
And in creating that atmosphere is there because no employer wants to have an infected employee come into the workplace and literally take down their company. Nobody wants that, right? So we have to assume that most people want to have good intent. But I think the challenge for uh, an organization that doesn't clearly communicate kind of the, like, for example, the CDC guidelines and the WHO guidelines, and then being transparent about how their company is interpreting those, and then what's the remedies that are engaged when something happens. That's, that's the challenge. So if you do that, then I think, I think we're, we're, we're in pretty good shape. Now, does that guarantee that you won't come back into the work and you know, you're not six feet apart and all those things in there? If you're a bus driver, for example, that's a very challenging piece. But like uh, Dr. Jeff was saying, make sure you have that conversation to say, maybe for six weeks, I'm not the person who's actually driving the bus. Maybe I'm working in something else to support the, the buses, but I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I found that when we have those discussions for what's hopefully a relatively short period of time in a person's long career, that this isn't the end of the world for them. And that maybe, you know, whether it's, you know, three months, six months, or even a year, we're able to help manage and mitigate that on there. But communication is really the most important thing. Uh, and I, write, I wrote down a couple of things you just said about uh, communication, having discussion, and even publishing some guidelines that are, yeah. that are quite that are crystal clear. Uh, I know that um, larger organizations certainly probably thought this through and had that there. Jeff, Jeff, what are we doing for the smaller businesses, that with the, the small businesses, the smaller organizations, maybe the mom and pops? How are they able to communicate uh, the expectations for their employer, for their employees as they come back into the physical workspace? Right, that's a challenge. Um, obviously, they don't have huge human resource departments they may not have the luxury of being able to put an employee, let's say they only have 10 employees, they may not have that luxury of being able to take two or three of them and move them to a different area. There may not be a different area. There may be just one facility, um, you know, 7-Eleven store or whatever. Um, in those situations, um, the advantage is, is that, number one, they know their employees intimately because there's not many of them. And number two, hopefully they're being able to work with them and, you know, number one, be able to still provide services to their customers, but also um, to keep them hopefully employed so that they don't lose those valuable employees that have worked. And, and hopefully this is a short period of time. It's not going to last forever and ever. Um, but again, I still think even though they don't have a huge human resource department, that communication is so important um, to, to start the dialogue. Um, to see if they work. It may not be able to work. They may not have the capabilities or the financial or the uh, facilities to do it, but at least it has to be explored. Brian, let me ask you this. I wanted you to comment on, on what uh, Dr. Jeff just said. You know, put yourself in kind of the small business owner uh, mindset. How are they going to be implementing these strategies when they only have a finite amount of people and certainly a, a very finite amount of resources, financially speaking? Well, a couple things. One, like for example, I live in Santa Clara County in California, and the county does a great job of really laying out how to run your business during this time for the type of business you have, what is the, from a safety perspective. So you don't have to go and research all this on your own. There's actually, you know, quite a community to provide resources for how you can better prepare for it, how you can handle something uh, that comes up in your organization. Uh, even if you have 10 employees or five employees, whether you're you know, um, a beauty shop or, or whether you're you know, an auto dealer, uh, there are guidelines that are 
pretty well done through most of the county health departments, which I think a, a strength in the United States, we actually have a really good network. We have lots of professionals that work in that, and that, that's helpful. Then second, um, work with your local government officials in terms of that. We have a, where I live, there's it's lots and lots and lots of small businesses. This is the backbone of, of California. And uh, a lot of those businesses are hurting, but enable to, to help them, not only working with them for things like the PPP program, Paycheck Protection Program, rather, and those kinds of things, um, really working with the counties, because they also provide a lot of support as well in terms of trying to do that in some of the municipalities and, and towns. But if you're in a small town somewhere, uh, there's a good chance that if you go to your county resources, they usually have more, and if not, the state resources are there. Uh, and the state of Illinois, for example, has uh, quite a few resources there uh, for, for, you know, not only employers, but also for individuals. Wonderful. Well, let's talk about a couple of different strategies in particular. Then we're going to get into some specific jobs uh, that I want to talk about risk and everything. But, you know, interesting, I talked about, I mean, I wrote down a couple of different things that I've been doing in preparation for talk with you fine gentlemen uh, and get my, get my brainwaves, my brainwaves on your guys' level. Uh, I've, identify four different things that could that that at least some, from a structural standpoint or organizational standpoint that we could be looking at and various strategies that organizational leaders organizational leaders have considered or actually already have implemented and broken down into social customs scheduling shifts workplace design and collaboration so i want to kind of break down break these down in a little bit more detail um and so i'm going to start with you uh dr jeff um, social customs, you know, things like implementing a no visitor policy or greeting without physical contact. How do we, how, how are companies, how should they be doing this? Right. And certainly um, why, <laughs> although we know the why. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. We, you know, with visitors and that to, to have control of who's coming into your company and who's in your facility. Uh, obviously as a hospital, uh, we instituted that very early on, limiting the number of visitors or limiting to one um, to, again, protect not only the patients, but themselves and our staff. Um, the same thing with social greetings or vendors coming to companies. Um, I think we're pretty far into this now, three months or so. So people are used to not necessarily shaking hands with one another or hugging people. Um, and that distancing, I think, um, has become more customary now than it would probably be back when we looked at this in March. Like, what do you mean you're not going to shake my hands? Um, but the same thing would apply not only to a hospital, but also a factory or uh, a place of business where they would limit it only to their employees and maybe have an entrance for the employee and a separate exit for the employees to limit traffic and to limit flow. And the same thing with um, in our hospital, you can't go anywhere without seeing markers on the floor, which indicate six feet of, so, of physical distancing. We see it in our grocery stores now. So I think the, the public and, I, and especially, I think they're going to be ready to go back to work and do these things when their factory does open up and they see, wait, yeah, we have to separate ourselves um, because it's already being done grocery stores, gas stations, and so on and so forth. Wonderful. I agree with that. I was in my grocery store today, and um, uh, during, during the time of the pandemic, my, my wife and I have been using a shopper to help do things, uh, certainly at the beginning, um, but I was actually in the physical grocery store today, and I was actually very 
very complimentary of the of the staff of the Disney because I actually hadn't seen it. I've only actually heard about it from other people, but I actually physically went to a supermarket today for the first seven, three months. Uh, I still eat food, everybody out there. There's no doubt about that, but I was physically there. So it is. Uh, Brian, let's break down the next topic here. Um, so thank you, Jeff, for breaking down kind of the social customs. Uh, Brian, I want you to take this thing, scheduling shifts um, in our ways, you know, to minimize uh, the spread of COVID-19 in the workplace. Things like flexible work hours, rotational shifts, staggering. How is that implemented and how can, how can you see that apply to not only just, you know, the larger companies, but also the small companies too? Well, I always think about it as, uh, I call it the think twice program. And actually think twice about how people come back to work and then also having the employees think twice about their personal accountability about it as well. Much like your grocery store experience, trying to keep people from crowding and coming into a jammed area. Uh, remember, just as people, all of us have habits that it's easy for us to get back into. You have to break that structure down a little bit and helping people to understand that shift work and spreading people out, uh, even though it's not always exactly what we'd want to do, but it still keeps the workforce employed if possible. And being able to spread that out and thinking about the size of your facility, uh, much like your grocery store experience. Uh, in Illinois, they have a tendency to count how many people go into the grocery store, and they physically limit that to make sure not too many people there, that you can follow the arrows, keep six feet, and it's a math equation. They actually do it, and all the large stores there have figured it out, and they, they try to limit it to that. Then there are other places, like a mom-pop store, that's really difficult to do. Here in California, there are stores that can only let like one person in at a time because they're physically too small, so there's a guideline on the actual physical square feet. I would, if I were, if that was my business, I would take that same application that, is, that, I, that mom pops wrote and then expand how big my area is. Because that essentially, that box that's created is very focused on that six foot space and working from there. And obviously having everyone wear a mask and making sure that they wipe in, wipe down, that everything that uh, they can do. And then if you have the shift work, for example, if you're doing manufacturing, oftentimes people use the same tools or the same workstation on a ship. You have to make sure you have enough time in between to allow that person to either uh, clean it down themselves following very strict guidelines or that you'd actually have crew come in and actually do that and make sure that is clean. So ship work is very important, but you have to remember that the real key is, because where I work at, we have a lot of ship work, is you have to make sure everything is cleaned in between or all you did was you got one person sick earlier and now you got the next person sick hit the next shift and then the next shift you got the next person sick. So ideally uh, we want to be able to practice all that. And that has to factor into the equation too as well. Wonderful. You know, Jeff, I want you to take this one. I you know, just thought of a question, but I had two patients yesterday in my clinical practice. Now these are via virtual visits because there was some risk of COVID exposure. Um, but I had two patients. Uh, one patient is a police officer and uh, a few of his uh, colleagues tested positive. And the other patient was, uh, works at a local Portillo's and had two coworkers test, test positive. Uh, and of course, their question, they both had a, maybe a little bit of symptoms too. So I did it as a virtual visit uh, and sent them for testing. But, but, but can you talk about the, the fact that the threat is still there? It is. Um, it's out there. I was watching the news this evening and there's, some spikes, which we were hoping wasn't going to occur. Hopefully we're ready for those, but it's still there. Um, I get test results in my box every day 
and some of them come back positive. So it, the virus is out there still. It's not gone away. We may think it's gone away, but it isn't. So um, I know there's concerns that maybe we've gone too far or are all these things necessary? And um, we are still seeing the virus. These things still are necessary. Um, I think the more we practice it, the better we get at this. Um, if you had told me a year ago, I would be wearing a mask um, all day in the hospital, I would laugh at you. That's why I did not become a surgeon, but because I don't like wearing a mask. But now it's so customary that uh, sometimes I forget I even have it on and I'm like, oh, where's my mask? And it's on my face. Yeah. So it is out there. And so people need to be cognizant of that and they still need to be on high alert as far as their workstations, keeping things clean and, and preparing themselves. When I come to work in the morning, I clean off my keyboard. Even if I think I was the last person to use it, I clean it off because I just don't know and I don't want to take that risk. You're like, you're like me. I'm like a, I'm like a mad scientist and I've got my uh, sanitizer. I'm like, ha, 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 and I'm squirting all yep. over the place on my computer and everything. Uh, but hey, it better be safe than sorry. Absolutely. So let's get back into a couple other of these themes and then we're going to talk about some specific things. But thank you for it because I just had to ask that question to you. Uh, so, but I want to get into a couple more of these themes. Uh, I'm going to give this one to you, Brian. Workplace design. Um, there was a time where, and you've seen it, where it was this open concept of everything. Open it up, open up, collaboration galore. And now, are we now trying to, you know, are we trying to now, now erect more physical barriers? Are, are you Actually, seeing that? Yeah, I've seen it, but it probably won't work that well. So it gives, one of the challenges with tall cubicle walls, it actually gives you the false sense that you're by yourself. It actually, you know, we worry about it, actually people taking their guards down because of that, because they have the sense that they're alone, but they actually aren't. Because remember, as we know with this virus, it, it can spread very easily from, you know, just touching something or, you know, that, that it's, so we have to be careful about creating that. What I really think the key is, is a couple things. One is, you have to do the basics. You have to wash your hands quite a bit. You have to wash your hands all the time at work. You have to have uh, the right kind of cleansing solution around to make sure of that, whether it's your keyboards or those kinds of things on there. And then you have to wear a mask, you know, if you're gonna be in proximity of anyone at work. Those things are, you know, eventually will become, I believe, second nature for a while, but it's something that we, we have to do. I, I think the design of organizations sometimes was a density, uh, perspective where they just tried to pack as many people in as they possibly could. Um, but in the cube farms, as I call them, very rarely when you really think about it, do you need to actually have people in the office every single day. It's, through, it's mainly for culture because people like, hey, I want to create a collaborative culture. We want to come in and talk to each other. We want to co-create together. All those things are there. However, though, one of the things I work for a technology company and there are a lot of tools out there that are really good for mimicking what you could have done in person, uh, much like this podcast that you can, you know, talk to pre pretty much anyone in the world, uh, make connections using various tools out there, be able to co-create together. You still can accomplish a lot. It's a different habit, but you can still do that. Um, and so I would just caution to say, if you have that kind of work, you have to think about where do you do it? Do you actually have to have it done in an office or can you do like, um, some on, some off, which many of the peer companies in the Bay Area here are doing. Like some, you can come in this day, you're on a Monday, Wednesday, you know, 
Friday half day, somebody else comes in and they're in there and they balance out the workload so that you don't physically have to have people there all the time, all together. Uh, being smart about it and every work environment's a little bit different. So you're going to have to be a little creative, but talk to your employees too. So if you talk to them, get their ideas. And then also, you know, working with just established professional guidelines, you put that together, that's a winning formula. Excellent. Uh, Dr. Jeff, uh, tell me just your, your thoughts about workplace design. Does it need to change uh, the physical barriers from a, you know, from a medical standpoint? What do you, what do you kind of see in where this is going? Yeah, I think it, I think it really depends on the industry itself. Again, with office type settings, um, there are things that people can do. Um, uh, again, uh, physical distancing. So instead of having a completely full office, maybe it's half full, uh, staggered start times. Uh, but there may be some industries where physical barriers, we may need them. Um, one that comes to my mind, uh, which has been in the news quite a lot, is such as the meatpacking industry, where uh, workers can be congregated because of the type of work processes that they do. And so in order to provide a safe environment for them, with all those other things in place, hand washing stations, um, masking, uh, maybe surveillance questions when employees are coming in and advised not to come in if they're sick, there may still need to be the need for physical barriers. And um, so they may not ever go away completely, but if you even go to certain stores nowadays, uh, you go to the counter and there's a plexiglass there that's separating you from the clerk or maybe your coworker to provide, again, an extra barrier of protection in addition to uh, possibly wearing a mask. So sometimes I think if we can try all those other engineering controls, we may still need to have those barriers in place to provide, again, that safe workplace. Thank you very much. So I want to get into a section now that I've created especially for you two, because again, you guys are, you both are longtime friends and colleagues. So I had to come this uh, uh, for both of you. And it came to me when I was exercising uh, over the weekend and did a, did a, a, a 20, it was almost a 20 mile bike ride. And sometimes ideas come to you when you least expect it. But when you have kind of this inner peace and you kind of being one with the moment all of a sudden your brain is full of awesome stuff. So I want to do this for you. So I have a section here called coronavirus. How exposed is your job? So what I'm going to say here is I'm going to say the job and then I'm going to ask both you, Dr. Jeff and, and Brian, you know, what's your take? Um, I know Dr. Jeff, you know, you're going to give it to me from a medical and, and Brian, you can give it to me too, your opinion on this because you've seen industry, you've seen it all. We know about this virus. We know that it's spread, how it's spread. We know how contagious it is. Uh, certain jobs certainly have higher risk than other jobs don't. So here we go. I'm going to lay it out there. So first, first statement, here it is for you, Dr. Jeff. How exposed is my job? I am an assembly line worker. Am I at risk for COVID-19? I would say uh, yes, depending on your workstation, because in an assembly, you're assembling things, which means that there's probably someone to your right and someone to your left that um, if they're infected and they're in your six feet zone, there is a potential that you could have some infection there. All right, there we go. Here we go. Here we go, Brian. I like this one. Uh, I am a member of the clergy. Do I have risk? Lots of risk. So I think uh, the clergy has proven to be a place where there are hot spots because of just the nature that how most churches or synagogues or, or temples are set up. 
uh, people come, they sing, um, which projects the uh, virus a little bit further than normal. Um, lots of the rituals in church involving close proximity to people or your temple or, or, and so I think the question then becomes is, you know, if, how, how can we rethink about worship and what that means? You know, uh, how do you have a great worship service and experience yet in a very safe environment? As we know, many of the ministers have challenged state laws because they really go, go back to, um, you know, that place where they, where they're most comfortable and they most enjoy and their congregation enjoys it. But to a certain degree, you know, the virus is the virus. The virus doesn't really care about your religion all that much. And so <laughs> it doesn't really care. So I think that profession is one where as if you're the church leader or the temple leader, um, you know, you just have to really think about, you know, how to make it safe. And I think there is a way to do that, but it's going to differ by what's the design of the church, you know, all those types of things we just talked about that we talked about in corporations actually apply to places of worship as well. Excellent. Here we go. How exposed is my job? All right, here we go, Dr. Jeff. I am a hair, uh, I'm in the beauty, beauty industry. So I'm going to say beauticians and related occupations, hairdressers and barbers. How exposed am I? Uh, there is a potential for exposure there. Again, you're working in close, close proximity mm -hmm. to your client. Um, again, wearing masks. Um, obviously, putting a plexiglass in that situation is not going to probably be that helpful because you have to have hands-on with that client, uh, working around their face, their hair, um, barbers and that. So again, masking to help protect each other, doing screening before people are coming in. Again, hand-washing, sanitizer, cleaning the area after the client is done so it's a fresh start to the next client, yes. Yeah, and I would piggyback on, um, certainly there was a case, uh, a couple of cases in, out of Missouri at a, a beauty salon where, uh, where the uh, beauticians uh, uh, actually had exposure, had symptoms, tested positive, and certainly potentially exposed um, over 100 people. And even what yeah. Brian was saying earlier about the clergy, yes, there was a, certainly a case of, of a choir practice out on the East Coast, and they were singing at the top of their lungs. And even though they were physically distanced, those particles were airborne and certainly inhaled. Here we go. Brian, I like this one. I am a construction worker, roofer, tiler, or carpenter. Do I have risk? Depends. That one's a little different because number one, if you are outdoors, um, primarily for your job, um, typically um, you have a little bit less exposure just simply because you, you got, assuming you got a breeze and those kinds of things. However, though, again, if you're working close in proximity to somebody, even if you're outdoors, the risk is still there. Um, it may not be the same as sitting next to a person indoors side by side, but there's still a heavy risk if your job uh, takes you in proximity of other people. Then also there's the issue, again, of making sure your equipment is cleaned and wiped down, that you're not sharing parts with others. So all those things apply. Uh, can you, um, you know, I would say effectively eliminate the risk in a construction business? Probably not. But can you make it uh, manageable? I think so. So it's, again, upon all of us working together to try to find a safe way to be able to actually continue that work. Excellent. Let's do a few more of these. I like this. Here we go, Dr. Jeff. I like this one. I am a farm, I am a farmer or a farm worker. Is there risk? Uh, again, unfortunately, there is risk. Um, uh, they have a tendency to work closely 
either working in the fields or in the crops. Many times these employees commute together. So they, they ride to and from work. They may also live together during uh, harvest season. Uh, additionally, uh, they may drive to different locations to do the harvesting and working together. So there is risk. And there's things that, again, employers can help do and employees can help do to protect themselves um, by cohorting people. So in other words, if I live with four workers, I would probably want to ride to work with those four workers because I already live with them and my exposure is already with them and not put me in another truck with someone else. And now I potentially have ex exposure to those people or myself. So there's ways around this, but they do potentially have risk. Yeah. All right. Excellent. We're going to do one more of these. Uh, I got to give my shout out to librarians. This is for you, Brian. I am a librarian. Uh, do I have risk? Well, it depends if it's the librarians that were around when I was a kid. And they weren't that helpful, so at least not for me. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but no, they actually do though, right? Because again, uh, it's again, it's it's what's their what's their job, right? People come and ask them questions. Uh, are the people that come into the library protected? Do they have on masks? Does the librarian have on a mask? Are they uh, making sure that uh, the the books and things that they're touched that are reasonably uh, sanitize. It's, it's again, I think the challenge on a lot of these professions is that there's some level of risk in virtually every profession that we know of, right? The question becomes is, how do we actually think about those risks, do a reasonable assessment, and then be able to figure out how do I, how do I make sure I make the workplace, you know, the safest it possibly can be, and, um, and continue on. Uh, so I think we can learn to go back to work effectively, uh, but it's going to be different. It won't be like it was. Some of the changes, like any sort of major pandemic or any other change, will wind up being relatively permanent. Uh, some will go back to the way it was before. I think companies will look at the risk of infection very differently, you know, in the future than they have in the past. Um, I, think, I think that actually is a good thing. Excellent. I want to do a bonus for me. I'm in bonus. Love it. I am in sports, professional sports or collegiate sports. Am I at risk? The answer is yes. And I'm actually going to be doing a COVID and sports show in two weeks. That's a teaser for two weeks from tonight. Here we go. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. So I want to get into a section that we always do each week on To Your Health with Dr. G called Myths versus Facts. It's all about setting the record straight. Again, building trust, delivering truth. I want you out there to have all the tools you need to make the best decisions for you and your family, and of course, continue to work with your doctor. All right, here we go. So I'm gonna say a statement, um, and then my panelists are gonna say myth or fact and tell us why. We're gonna see how many we can get through these things. So here we go. First one's for you, Dr. Jeff. Here we go, here's a statement. Employers, myth or fact, employers should continue partnering with local, state, and federal health officials to ensure the highest standards of workplace safety in the era of COVID-19, myth or fact. That is true. That's a fact. We please want them to partner. Please, okay, please explain a little bit. Yeah. Oh. Um, again, this is an ever-changing dynamic process that we're going through. Uh, unlike Brian, this is my first pandemic, and I hope it's my last. <laughs> I hope I don't ever have to deal with this again. Um, Amen. But because it's changing constantly, uh, employers, even physicians, have a hard time keeping up with what's going on out there. And by looking to state 
federal, local governments. They're great resources. They can be a go-to place for employers. And so again, they need to partner with them. Excellent. Thank you. Here we go. Brian, I like this myth or fact. Here's a statement. Workplace safety is the responsibility of the employer. Myth or fact? Well, it's a myth because it's all of us. We all have to work together to make our workplace safe. Uh, it's a two-way street. Um, we, if we do it together, we can actually make our workplaces great. And it really comes down to us practicing personal accountability um, as a human on this planet. I have some accountability to other people to try to make sure I don't pass along infectious disease. And then also as an employer, we have to make sure that we're not putting people in peril when we don't have to. So when we work together, we're in pretty good shape. Wonderful, thank you, I love that one, I agree. Here we go, here's a statement, Dr. Jeff. Health and safety, that's just common sense, myth or fact. Uh, um, you would think it, it's, it's um, you hope it's to be a fact, but it isn't always common sense. It can be a myth. Um, people think it's just going to happen, and it doesn't just happen. Um, as Brian alluded to, it takes contemplative thought and processes for safety and health to be there, and it just doesn't fall out of the sky. So it, it appears to be common sense, but you've really got to think about it. Thank you. Here we go, Brian. I like this statement. Here we go. Enacting safety measures in the COVID era may cost you money up front, but it will save you more money and lives in the long run. Myth or fact? Well, I do think that's a fact. I think, in, I think if we enact some of the, the measures that we've all proposed, not only here today, but what our governments and agencies have proposed and, uh, and networks and, and associations that have out there, we're gonna have a better place. It, it's, a, it's a tough time, admittedly now, for lots of people, whether it's uh, employers, companies, et cetera, people are trying to figure out how to hang on to their business and survive. But if we do this down the road, we're gonna be way better off. The worst case scenario for me is to have variations of COVID-19 lingering in our society two or three years from now. That will, that will be one of the worst things that could possibly happen. It will drag the global economy down and probably in a way that we haven't seen before. If we practice this hardcore stuff today, that will help eliminate COVID and give us an opportunity to take this version of COVID-19, create a vaccine, stop us in its tracks. Uh, I'm not an infectious disease doctor, but I have relatives that work in this, this field. One of the things they talk about is if it's out there too long, it, it, is, there, is there some, does it change over time? We have to get this now. New Zealand, for example, effectively wiped out COVID-19. Uh, sure I think it's the first kind of large country to do so. And they actually didn't have, they don't have any active cases. I don't know how long that will stay but they took the hard measure of basically shutting the borders completely of the country and not letting anybody in or out. So that gives them kind of a, a ground zero start, but they're gonna to have to open their doors at some point in time and people who are infected will come back into the theater. So how do we actually get ready for to do that? So Correct. those are our things. Wonderful, and I always say everything, the same, the same goes like this, everything you do during a pandemic may seem alarmist, but everything after will be inadequate. All right, here we go. I like it. We'll do a couple more of these. Dr. Jeff, here we go. I like this statement. I am young and healthy. I don't have to worry about COVID risk while I'm at work. Myth or fact? That's a, that's a myth. 
Um, Please explain. You may be young and healthy, um, but people can still get the disease and it can be devastating even in younger individuals. You don't have to be 70 years old with diabetes and overweight. Younger people have gotten this disease and it can be devastating. And the other thing they have to keep in mind is that they may get the disease and not be that ill and not worried about it. But again, then they can transmit it to someone they love, a family member who may be very vulnerable. So um, it's, it, it's a myth. All right, here we go. I like this one, Brian. I think this one's for you. Uh, despite all best intentions, employers cannot prevent a hazard-free workplace. Myth or fact? Uh, to a certain degree, unfortunately, it's impossible to have zero hazard just because humans are fallible. We make mistakes and, uh, and that's just part of that. And machines break down and there are always challenges at work. Um, but we do our best to mitigate that with really good thought processes. Science actually helps, believe it or not, right? Uh, and, and really engaging in experts. Uh, the great thing about uh, the world today is there are experts all over the world. They re there are really some great folks out there who really understand how to make your workplace, whether it's a small company or whether it's a large, safer and, uh, and at relatively you know, low cost of how to do it. And because they've seen it before and they've seen it over and over and over again. And then they apply that. So uh, I think there's opportunities for us to. Wonderful. And then uh, Dr. Jeff, we're going to do one more of these. I like this one for you. Here we go. A company must provide personal protective equipment, but employees can choose not to use it. Myth or fact? Um, it's a tough one. Um, yeah. Number one, uh, PPE is there for a reason. It's for safety. Um, and if I have a workplace, and let's say we're talking about PPE such as safety glasses or hearing protection, um, there are safety rules and they're there for a reason. And so we want employees to utilize that to keep them safe because they may not know what risk is harm are out there. Um, and so um, there are some controversy as far as masks being used in industry because masks themselves may not be considered PPE from an OSHA point of view. Um, but again, um, by education and talking to the employees and telling them it's there for a reason to help them. Uh, I think everyone would be better off. Excellent. Well, there you guys go. Myth or fact. Love it. So we got about five minutes left, and this has just been an awesome discussion. I feel like we could probably talk for like three hours, uh, but, uh, but this, is, uh, this is just an awesome discussion, uh, uh, Dr. Jeff and, and Brian. So we got about five minutes left. I said at the beginning, um, we I call it the chief complaint. At the end, we call it the assessment and plan, and the assessment and plan is when you, certainly me in my clinical practice, and certainly is we give somebody a diagnosis and we give them a treatment plan, and most importantly, we schedule a follow-up. So Brian, I'm gonna have you kind of close it down for us. Give us a few take-home points. There's been a lot of people watching us tonight, people from all walks of life, uh, people that are small business owners, um, employees, leaders in their organizations that make decisions. What are some take-home points that people could take tonight when we're talking about ins ensuring workplace safety in the era of COVID-19? A uh, couple things I would start with. Well, number one, just remember, um, you don't have to do it alone. There are lots of great um, resources available. Um, and I'm sure you'll be able to hook some people up uh, as well. Uh, work also help people 
from a personal accountability standpoint by going to see your doctor, getting a health check, understanding your underlying conditions. Then as an employer, making your workplace as safe as possible based on the type of industry that you're in. There's no one size fits all, but there are applications that I think we can help people work through and um, being able to do that. And then I think the, the third thing is, is just practice those things that your mom told you to do, which are, you know, don't cough on people, you know, uh, wear a mask, wash your hands, you know, use cleansing solutions that are, that will disinfect uh, the disease and do as much as you can to really be thoughtful and courteous of other people. And think about it as, uh, I was, I was in the grocery store the other day like you, but my experience was totally different. And <laughs> no one was paying attention to the boundaries at all. No one was following the lines. Everybody was crowding in. Um, so as a personal accountability, I left. And I said, you know what? It's not safe for me to be here. And I owe it to people I love not to bring this back. So I left, went, went home. And uh, I ordered like you did and had him bring this stuff out. But, <laughs> um, but those, those things I think are very important. Personal accountability, making sure as an employer you do as best you can to make sure you work through all that stuff in there. And then do those, those you know, I don't want to call them common sense because it really isn't always that. But do those things that we know really will help stop the spread of this disease. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Brian. Dr. Williamson-Link, give us a few closing remarks on how we can best continue to ensure workplace safety in this era of COVID-19. So I think, um, I think to bring home the point that uh, it's a team approach. It's not just the employer. It's not just the employee. It's, it's them working together to provide a safe environment to be able to go back to work um, sometimes, uh, in my experience, some of the best ideas on how to make a job safer didn't come from the safety manager or, or the foreman on the floor. It actually came from the employee that ran the piece of equipment every day. Um, so I think by engaging that employee is extremely important. Secondly, I think that, um, uh, and we've lived this uh, in our facility and all other hospitals have throughout the country, is that this is a dynamic, evolving, changing process. And the things that we're doing today may not be applicable two or three weeks down the road. So I think you have to be agile. You have to kind of go with the flow. The recommendations that are out there today may not be there three weeks from now. Don't get discouraged by that because other people are feeling that same thing. Um, and if I think you have that attitude that today it's not written in stone, I think you'll be much farther better off. And finally, the last thing is communication. I'm telling you, um, the more you're open with leadership, with your employees, of what's going on, having them play a role in it, doing that even before they take that first step back into the workplace on day one, having it planned out, having things in place and communicating that ahead of time will make everyone's life uh, so much better and I think that transition to come back to work will be much smoother. There'll be a major trust there that probably you've never had before, especially facing what we've faced over these last few months. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Williamson-Link, for that. So just great commentary. You know, my kind of, kind of final thoughts are this. I think there are some strategies that employers can implement right away. For example, number one, enact a staff, client, and visitor screening policy 
very easy to set up temperature scans uh, with a thermometer uh, uh, at the door. There's simple questions you can ask. Number two, allow for physical distancing. That's one of the best ways to minimize the spread of this virus. Number three, maintain clean and disinfected facilities. That seems like a no-brainer, but we have to do it. Sanitize, sanitize, and sanitize. Number four, enact a restriction on visitor policy. Control the workflow of bodies that come into your physical space. And number five, provide and allow for personal protective equipment, whether it's up to you as a, as a mandatory or, or discretionary thing, but apply for the, allow for those to happen and make sure that that's done in a non-judgmental uh, manner. You know, you see employers must have a steadfast focus on safety for everyone while still maintaining consistent safety measures across the board. The pandemic has forced our hand into adopting a new safety culture that is likely here to stay. You know, continued vision, leadership, and training throughout the organization are paramount to ensure the well-being of people, the most coveted asset employees, and certainly customers that make your business matter most. I see this as being the new business as usual in the era of COVID-19 and beyond. So I want to thank my amazing guest today, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Williamson-Link, board-certified occupational health specialist with Edward Elmer's Health and Brian Little, Vice President, Human Resources at Intel Corporation. You guys have been listening and watching live here on Facebook. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2020 by MDG Wellness LLC. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for my next episode, everybody. Next week, I'm back at you with COVID and kids. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. I'll catch you guys later, and peace out.